It's my first time. You're new here, aren't you? First time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I'm watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, but we're taking that over-analytical lens that we've gained as Star Trek podcasters, and we're applying it right here to Babylon 5. And while this is not a Star Trek podcast, we are Star Trek podcasters, and so those references are going to get peppered in. I think in this one, uh, quite a few times, actually. But we we on on the pepper instead of opening the 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 sprinkle side we opened the pour side I think is might be how this one's gonna go. It's kind of like when I eat clam chowder and I just like take the screw top off of the shaker and I'm just like whoosh pepper or the whole the whole pepper ball. So good, yeah, it's so good. But to keep us on track, we have the rule of three. That means we get three references to Star Trek a piece. That's it. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, or refunds. <laughs> And after that, no more references from either one of us. Hey, Brett, one other thing we get to do around here is share our five-star reviews. Oh, yes. This one from Apple Podcasts, Trekkie Trey the Trekker <laughs> says. Say that one ten times fast. Right, I can barely Trekkie say Trey it. Trekker, Trekkie Trey the 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 Trekker. Yeah, I can do it. That's good. I can barely say it once slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but Trekkie. Trekkie says, this podcast is awesome. Babylon 5 is a show that changed my life. We talked about that with quite a few experiences from people a while ago, which is cool. Well, it changed the way that I perceive the world, media, religion, just to name a few. I can't wait to continue to see these guys experience the show for the first time. Awesome. Thank you. And you know what? I think we like that part about the show, too. It That's Jeff. This is why we apply that Star Trek filter, because this is what good sci-fi should do. Mm -hmm. Not just Star Trek, but sci-fi in general. It should challenge the way that you think about things and the way you view things. It should help to to shape those things. It should inspire new thoughts and new ideas. It should make you boldly. Okay, never mind. Not a reference. I wasn't. (laughs) Don't don't use it. Yeah. I'm not using it. I got to save them. But the cool thing, Brent, people are saying that they are watching Babylon. Longtime fans are watching the show differently because of the lens that we put on this. And we call it that Star Trek equality. And frankly, that upsets some people, right? This it isn't did. Star Especially Trek. Especially at first, yeah. 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 Well, still does. I still get emails from people who are just like, you need to stop comparing this to. We're not comparing it to Star Trek. We just call that magic of sci-fi, we just call it Star Trek-y because we're Star Trek guys. Like, again, if you're watching this on the YouTube, I've got a Delta on my shirt right now. So, I mean, that's what we do. I've got, I've got a hand-painted thing of Murph in the background and Star Trek figures, but I also got a Babylon 5 figure and also Mickey Mouse and sports and Harry Potter ones. And speaking of liking all of it, Brent, we have another five-star review. Oh, Yes. And this one's from Podchaser. You can also leave us Ooh. a review on Podchaser. We Shout get out to... Podchaser, folks. Yeah. I dig Podchaser. It's a great place to go. It's almost a, uh, it's almost like a Goodreads for podcasts. I, I've always thought of it as IMDB for podcasts. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. You can even track like guest appearances and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yep. IMDB. 
Well, on Podchaser, Michael W. says, I'm not much into podcasts. I'm more of a YouTube guy that watches podcasts. And there's only one that I can't wait for the next one to come out and never miss a single thing they do. That is, of course, Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. Their study and dissection of episodes are both thought-provoking and accurate to a degree and also wildly funny for how way off they are. And yet others are so close to being correct but screwed up a few major points that I want desperately to leave spoiler comments, but I refrain. An attention-grabbing podcast that all sci-fi fans should be listening to and watching on YouTube. Michael W., thank you. And we love that you're enjoying this. And guess what? Next episode comes out on Monday. Each and every one, like clockwork. One more. This is a comment from um, a member of our YouTube community, Missy Prime. Missy comments very yeah, regularly. Yeah, Missy. What's up, Missy? Yeah. And this is a cool story. This is going back a little ways, but we've talked in the past about how great the fandom is in our community here. And I, mm-hmm. and I think we've gotten more um, involved in the Babylon 5 community as we've you know gotten kind of further along. And, and I will... I will own that like I think our community is kind of like the cream of the crop of the Babylon 5 fan community. Do not disagree. We have incredible people that we interact with and we appreciate it. But Missy had this really cool story. She says, uh, yes, this is a really great fandom. I got a 25-year-old Star Fury model and some of the decals were water damaged. It was the Psychor decals that were damaged. I mentioned that in a B5 group that I wanted a Psychor Star Fury, and two weeks later, another fan from the other side of the world had posted me replacement decals that he had. How cool is that? The Babylon 5 community is awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, we've said it before. I'll say it again. You said it a little bit earlier. We've been a part of a lot of fandoms out there, and fandoms have a lot of opinions about how things ought to be and should be and how things are and they have a lot of gatekeepers a lot of times. No, you're not a real fan. If, you, if you're a real fan, you've done blah, blah, blah. Babylon 5 hasn't experienced hardly any of that. And and this has just been a cool place to be. And the fact people are taking care of each other, you know who does that? You know it's a good company that does stuff like that? Hmm. Lego. Really? If you reach out to Lego and, like, you're missing a part or missing a sticker or whatever, they'll, they take care of you super fast and super quick, and uh-huh. like, no questions asked. Like, they will hook you up. We should reach out to Lego to make a Babylon Five station oh, thing. That'd be cool. Yeah. Lego, send it to us, and we'll 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 pump it. We'll pimp it on this show. Totally, we can make that a thing. We can. Well, Jeff, you know, along with uh, reading all the comments and our rule of three game that we play, we have another game that we like to play at the end of the episode where we try to guess what next week's episode is going to be, only by reading the title of the episode, never having seen a thumbnail reading description or actually having watched the episode at all. And now is the point of the show where we look back to what we said last week that this episode was going to be, and we see just how right or wrong we were. So Jeff, do you remember what you said last week about what acts of sacrifice was going to be? Yeah, I think I said something about, um, we're going to get back to the Centauri Narn war and Londo is going to make some great sacrifice that would lead to the conclusion of the war. And I was right in that we went back to the Centauri Narn War, and that's where uh, that's where my correct guess kind of came to an end. I mean, we can get split hairs and say that Londo made a sacrifice. I don't think it got us closer to a conclusion of the war. Brent, uh, what did what did you uh, think this was going to be? I don't remember, but I was wrong. 
whatever it was. I, I literally like, I legit, I think I, I said something to the effect of like, I wanted it to somehow be a continuation of last week, like with Lanier and how he was sacrificing for Delin and Delin sacrificing for the Membari and the humans and everybody like that. And I, I wanted it to kind of continue that piece, but I knew it wouldn't. So here you go. I got it right because I knew it wouldn't. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community, and you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. I hope for a negative and it was negative and that makes a pause. I don't do math. I don't know. There you go. That works. That well, for those, out. right. For those of you who are watching along with us or just curious what in the heck we're talking about in this episode, acts of sacrifice, Brent, can you remind us what this one is about? Well, as Jeff said, the Narn Centauri war is raging. The Narn are trying to evacuate civilians while a Centauri warship obliterates everything in sight. A nearby Jaquan-class heavy cruiser is attempting to make its own getaway when they detect the civilian ship, which isn't going to make it to the jump gate. With a deep breath, the honorable Narn captain orders his ship between the Centauri and the civilian transport vessel. The civilians make it safely to the jump gate, but the heavy cruiser? Yeah, she has made the ultimate sacrifice. And as we watch the parts scatter across the void of space, the camera pulls back. And it reveals that we are actually 600 years into the future in a history museum where they have been able to, quote unquote, accurately recreate this ancient battle between the good Narn people and the evil warship voyage. <laughs> Wrong episode. No, in this episode, it was Jakar on Babylon 5 reviewing footage of the battle with Sheridan and his senior staff begging for Earth's help. Yeah, that's what this one was. And if Earth Force Alliance will take the Narn side, others will do the same, and it will help a great deal in the furthering of the war effort. Meanwhile, a Lumati ship has arrived, carrying an ambassador whom Sheridan hopes will be convinced to either become an ally of Earth Alliance or at least agree to stay out of the whole thing by joining the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Yeah, Sheridan would rather deal with the whole Jakar and Londo thing rather than this guy, so he assigns that job to Ivanova to be the one to seal the deal if you didn't watch this episode first you're going to get that joke in just a few minutes unsatisfied with the very non-committal answer that he got from sheridan jakar goes to delin because after all if the mimbari take the narn side others will do the same and it will help a great deal in furthering their war effort well delin would like to help really she would but you see jakar has made it so clear that his goal is is the utter destruction of the centauri 
and the Narn really aren't very trustworthy right now. And her people, well, they're tired of war. Speaking of war, it's breaking out on the station. A group of drunk Centauri are reveling in the dominance of their home team, having a few brews, talking some trash to some fans of the away team that are sitting nearby when a fight in the stands breaks out. No worries. Stadium security is there to put a stop to it. Woo! Glad that's over. Okay, it's not over at all because later that same group of folks are fighting, only this time it's down by the trough in the men's room. And this time, the station security cop has to shoot one of the Narn. Well, that obviously isn't sitting too well with Jakar or Sheridan because that cop was actually acting out of a moment of true self-defense. And Sheridan tells Jakar that he either gets control of his people or he, Sheridan, is going to have every last Narn removed from Babylon 5. Because this is the last best hope for peace, not war. Jakar gets the message, but his people don't. And behind Jakar's back, they are planning to kill every last Centauri on the station. And they're going to start with that drunk guy from earlier in the episode. Natoth gets wind of the plan and she tells Jakar, who goes to confront his people again. And this time, he is challenged to a Suvbatleth the Klingon ritual of trial by combat where the winner gets to retain his honor and becomes the leader of the empire while the loser dies and goes to Stovacor. Well, Orph is going to have it out. Um, Brent, listen, what? I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to you just burned your second reference in the recap. This is not a star Trek podcast. Okay. Oh, are you sure? Just trying to help you out here. Just trying to help you out. You sure this wasn't a star Trek thing. Oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Okay. Definitely not a Star Trek podcast. Got it. Got it. This one is Jakar and they are the Narn, not the Klingons. Got it. I'm with you. I'm back. Okay. I'm back. Okay. Jakar has it out with the leader of the Narn rebellion and he, meaning Jakar, is the winner. Except for that one pesky stab that he took, which apparently has poison in it. But no worries. He's been ingesting small bits of that poison for many years and has developed an immunity to the poison. Hey, Brent, sorry. Yes. I, I know this is your recap. This is not a Princess Bride podcast either. Right. Well, Delenn and Sheridan both want to see Jakar. No, not to officially join the Narn's side, but they can offer help to the civilians and try to get them out to safety. How, you may ask? Well, you remember that underground railroad thing that Dr. Franklin didn't get fired for? That's how. And just in case you were wondering, where's Londo in this whole situation? Well, he's still a bad guy. And he's even accepting bribes from people who want stuff out of him because his status has been so elevated in Centauri society. In truth, he really doesn't like it, but he still accepts the bribes anyway. He's clearly, though, having a crisis of conscience about the whole thing. And all he really wants is to have a non-offensive drink with his good, dear friend, Mr. Garibaldi. And oh, what happens with Ivanova and the Lumati ambassador? Well, she's super successful in convincing him to become an ally, and he wants to finalize the alliance in the traditional way of the Lumati, by having sex. Oh boy, that is not what Ivanova signed up for at all, but some quick thinking and a serious acting straight out of when Harry met Sally, the old man gets creeped out and he goes away, and we're all left feeling rather kind of icky. The end. Jeff, how'd you feel about this episode, Acts of Sacrifice? So nice job on the recap. I'm sorry for interrupting you. I'm just trying to help you out a little bit. That was rough for me last week. Um, so 
Uh, your recap was honestly a little more exciting than the episode. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, here's what we know. Like, this is the episode, right? So Jakar is desperate. Londo is lonely. They're both kind of desperate in their own ways. And um, and there you go. That's uh, that's what we got. This This episode really felt to me like, hey, here's a day in the life of Babylon 5. Oh, and there's a war on. It, you know what this one felt like to me? There's 22 episodes in this season, and we got to fill out 22 episodes. Kind of what it felt like. And I think I'd be okay with that if they didn't stretch like a one, one and a half episode storyline over four episodes at the beginning of the season. Right. Because I just, I think, I, you're right, 22 episodes, it's a long season. But I don't feel like much has happened in this entire season so far. And mm-hmm. we've had a couple that were okay. Okay. And we had a couple actually that were great. And then we had a couple. I was say, we've were, had a couple that were really good. Yeah. A couple great. And it, but what I mean, like three maybe that have been great. And then some that have been. This is episode what, like 11, 12? 12. This, this is, we're on the, we're on the back end of season two now. Yeah. And yeah, there's a war that started three episodes ago. Yeah. And okay. Well, there's. And the war is happening. It's happening. And and the two people, the two ambassadors on the station that are dealing with it are in very understandable points of desperation. You mean the two best parts of the show? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, put Londo and Jakar in a room together and magic happens and you can't get them into a room together right now. But they're still making magic happen. Like, I've got to highlight their acting. Like, I want to talk about some positive stuff. Holy Absolutely. Crud. Holy crud. It was good in this episode. But put them together in a room with the, the awkwardness and the tension and everything like that. Like we need to see that. Not yet though. I like, uh, I'm not a fan of like, I mean, like I just, I just talked about how they're slow playing everything so much, but I'm yeah. okay right now with this slow play on getting them. in. we got them together in the council chambers, right? Way when, when Jakar totally no sold them, didn't look at Londo or anything. Yep. We got to build this a little bit. So when they do get in the room together, oh, we're going to feel I'm, that. I'm fine with that, but I'm just saying I want, I'm ready for that. Like, like I'm, I'm built the it's been built. Let's get there because Londo and Jakar on screen at the same time is, is magic every time. Yeah. What were your, what were your first impressions of this one? Yeah, it was a lot, a lot the same of you. Like I kind of got to the end of it and I've kind of had to start making a mental note of like, okay, what happened in this episode? that is of significance, or at least as far as I can tell is of significance to the story that we know so far, because I will remind folks out there listening who are like, I've got to shut this off. I can't believe these guys out here. Jeff and I have never seen this show before. We only know up to this point of the show. We don't know. Oh, well that one thing is going to set up all this other stuff. Yeah. We don't know. And this is just our impression watching this episode right here in the middle of it. And then having to stop and come talk about it. You know, um, I thought this episode said a lot, but it didn't do a lot. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. In fact, I think it said a lot, but it didn't do a lot like it. There's there's a lot to like about this episode without actually, I think, liking this episode. I think it's it's something you and I talked about before we came on mic where. You know, at the end of the episode, we're going to split some duties because you owned the recap. You're going to do a Delta rating, how Star Trek mm-hmm. he was. I'm going to do the Star Furies. How much did we enjoy it? And this will be an episode that our ratings are very different. Yeah. And and, and that's fine, right? And, and and but but it was, I think. Because it yeah. means that those two things are not the same thing. Yeah. They're, di- they're different. They mean different things. Yeah. 
But I think, you know, at, at this point, I think things moved a little bit. You know, things I observed that were important is, one, Londo's getting a lot more comfortable being the bad guy. I don't like it. When they uh, when they put, you know, dude's picture, the, 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 the Centauri that was murdered, and they're like, hey, we want you to keep this quiet for a while because um, people will freak out. He looks at it and didn't even miss a beat. He's like, yeah, okay, yeah, this guy has no family. That's fine. I'll play along. Like, he didn't have... Mm-hmm. He's not having guilt about the murderous choices he's having to make. He's having guilt because, like, he's a jerk now, and no one wants to hang out. The only people that want to hang out with him are, it's the lottery problem, right? Like, he won the lottery, so all of his good friends don't like him anymore, and the only people that do like him don't really like him. See, I, I don't know that I saw that as being the thing that he was having a problem with, because I do feel like, at least this is the way I read it, Londo is having a problem with the fact that he launched this war. Like he want he he wants all the glory that it comes with. Everything he's been saying, the complete and utter destruction of Nard. He wants the Centauri to be on top of the universe and have their foot on everybody's throats again. And now that they're there, and he's the one who's fairly responsible for that happening, he doesn't like it. And it's not actually the way it should be. And we've seen Londo in these episodes. Uh, several season one episodes where he's like, look, this stuff isn't all it's cracked up to be. He's learned this lesson. It's like he forgot and now he's learning it again. But in doing so, what that's done is the only people who want him are people who can do stuff, who can get stuff out of him. Mm -hmm. None of those people are validating to him to say, yes, you're okay. You're a decent person. You're not this evil monster who started this war. Right. Mm-hmm. The only people who can do that are people who don't want something out of him, like his good dear friend, Mr. Garibaldi. And if he can just like have some normalcy and have somebody like be like, hey, let's just talk and hang out and not talk about that, then he can kind of get back to being normal Londo, not Londo who started an entire war, at least in his own brain. Mm-hmm. All of that being said, Londo is still bad. This is still bad Londo, and I don't like it. And in this episode, what did we see Londo doing? Even though he really didn't want to, and even though he doesn't really care about it, he is accepting bribes from people to do things for them. That is not okay. Like, that's not the that's not where we want our people to be, especially when you like a character so much like we like Londo. And he's guilt handling this stuff, right? It's like he got these bribes. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go pay off Garibaldi for all the times he pulled my butt out of the fire. And, you know, and I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to go to the place that I used to get to be me. I'm going to go to the casino where it was mm-hmm. fun for me. But I'm going to go in my new black, sharp, more quasi-military looking uniform with like, you know, my hair is going to be done to the nines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or the sixes, I think, for a Centauri is what they would say. But in the end, yeah, he. I think it's it's a thing that people, they win the lottery or they become internet famous or for real famous for a minute. And there's this... Um, myth this like perception that people are going to love me you know my buddies are going to be my better buddies now because i have this stuff but what what life has shown us and movies and other things that you know i mean we haven't experienced that but what we've seen is that's not how it works right you know garibaldi i actually really liked the arc that garibaldi took with him where he was just like what was it he said like londo's like i'm not i am not some monster who and he's like "Uh, you think like maybe you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, Gar- Garibaldi said it exactly. Like, actually, you kind of are, dude. 
Mm -hmm. Like you, you're wanting to pretend not to be, but you are. But in the end, he still came and hung out with him because he, he saw that, that piece of, of Londo that they did connect with. We talked a while ago about how Londo is going to victim himself enough so that Jakar is going to attack him. The council's not going to include him. Sheridan's going to shut him off. And in the end, it's going to be all by actions he takes. And then he's going to be like, well, this is why I did it. Because you didn't listen to me. Because you didn't these things. It's like, no, you made all this up. Garibaldi, I think, sees that. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be your, you know, your lifesaver that's floating out there available to you. As long as you keep buying me chemically inoffensive drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe instead of lightsaver, let's talk about a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. because there's a little bit of an Anakin Skywalker thing going on here. Like Luke Skywalker looked at Anakin and said, I know there's still good in you. There's a spark in there and I can work with that spark. If I can somehow awaken that, that will be the thing that brings you back to the good side. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where like, I almost feel like that's what Garibaldi sees. Like he sees a little bit there in Londo and he's like, that part is worth saving. That part is worth redeeming. That's the part that we want to try to appeal to. And I think, and I think that Garibaldi as an addict, right. As someone who with alcoholism understands that spiral in a way that another person wouldn't. And I think he can identify that. And at Mm -hmm. some level, at some level with Londo where, you know, he's like, when he's hit bottom, he's like, if only there was someone there, you know, to, to help me, whatever. In fact, when, uh, was it, was it Sheridan, you know, who came in when, when it looked like Garibaldi was contemplating suicide you know, after he recovered and Sheridan came in and gave him that hand. Yeah. Garibaldi's doing that now for Londo. And honestly, when Garibaldi's left at the bar and the bar is closing down and they're like, were you waiting on someone? He's like, yep, I was said he'd be here. And he didn't like, I actually think that was good for Londo to sit there and go through that. Like I, I hated that Garibaldi had to not keep his promise, but we understand why he couldn't because of everything else going on in the station at that particular moment. Londo didn't know. And I think it was good for him to be left there because have consequences, right? Because this, this has to just storytelling. This has to come back to Londo being redeemed at some point. Totally. Totally. And I think it has to be sooner rather than later. I don't think that this has to, I don't think this is something drawn out multiple seasons. At least I hope it's not, you know, I, I I've thrown out, I mean, all the way from Londo's story is the, is the whole story to, Oh, this thing will be done in a couple episodes, but I've gotten to a point where I almost feel like the last episode, like the conclusion of Babylon five is either going to be that we, the viewer get to see Kosh and we know what that was like, Oh, it was, it was the Vorlon all along. Right. Or it's going to be Londo's redemption story. Like that's the story of Babylon five at this point. I'm guessing, I mean, who knows, but Uh, I'll say this though. Garibaldi said it best. I, and, and I felt this viscerally. I don't know you anymore. Londo. None of us do. I went, yeah. And I hate it as it's not what I want. Yeah, not at all. So I want Londo to come back. I, just, I know. Yeah. And I don't want to wait four seasons for it. I think this episode is unfair in, in, in a good way in that, like it gave us those little glimpses of old Londo and just enough where it's like, oh, I want that guy again. Like, oh, here's the thing. If Londo is going to be bad and he's going to be the big bad of the show or, or whatever, or the puppet, I need him to go all the way bad. 
this little thing where he's having crisis of conscience and he's like, ah, Vera, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want that Londo. If he's going to be bad, go be bad. Don't, don't have one foot on both sides of this here. But it's good TV to do it this way. I mean, it hurts and it sucks and it's frustrating, but like, you know what? I'm going to watch next week because I'm hoping, I hope there's going to be something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is, is if they draw that out for too long, then you just get frustrated with it. It becomes Rumpelstiltskin in once and once if you have watched that show once where you're just like, okay, we get it. He's bad. And then he was good. And now he's bad. We, God's sake. I'm done watching this dumb show. It's uh the curse of Oak Island where every episode is like, yep, gold's not in this hole either. <laughs> dig a new hole next week. Not in that hole either. Have a Shia LaBeouf movie about it. Just <laughs> dig digging holes. I thought the Jakar stuff in this was amazing. Okay. Can we say this though? Jakar's not a good ambassador. I know. He's not good at his job. I know. Like who's who's worse at his job? Jakar or Dr. Franklin? Dr. Franklin. I'm just gonna answer. <laughs> Although we got we got a better we got a better Dr. Franklin in this episode. Yeah, because he didn't talk much. And when he did, he tried to be funny and he nailed it one time. So <laughs> but Jakar said it best, right? We've never been here before. Yeah. This isn't what we know. And I think Jakar was a good a skilled ambassador when he could play the um the damsel in distress that wasn't actually in distress right oh we're poor they're doing this and oh well we only responded back this way and all those things maybe when they were fighting their old war and he was in some level of ambassadorism it was better but now where it's all out head-on face-to-face war and where it's his buddy who's kind of leading the charge like it's too personal it's, it's it's deeply personal for him and so yeah he's wildly ineffective isn't he? i mean he's terrible <laughs> he really is he's he's not good i mean he's really good at going and and killing people and fighting for honor and fighting for control and you know i've already made the reference so it's not going to count again right. being wharf yeah you know doing that whole storyline which i i said at some point you know the narn i know that they're supposed to be marsupials but they sort of have a reptilian look to them yeah which gives you that they're warriors. They're going to fight no matter what. Like you can't reason with these people. They're always going to go back to their base or animal instincts. That's just the way they visually look. Well, that's what they did. And that's what they did in this episode, which it's hard to like them. Like it's, it, it makes it hard to like be on their side in a way. I, I found it interesting because that opening scene I think was meant to, oh God, it's a, it was meant, I was going to say humanized and I don't want it. It was meant to connect us to the NAR, right? To see. I have a question about that opening scene. Yeah. Okay. Was that opening scene video or, or whatever of the actual battle as it happened? Or was that like, they, I don't want to say they doctored it, but like they made it up because that, that scene really had this look of something that was shot from the viewpoint of the NARN. They are the innocent, the noble. They're the ones who are, uh, you know, they're the victims of everything and they're going to rescue their people and make the ultimate sacrifice. And they're going to be really nice to each other. And the Centauri are evil, mean, faceless. Like, like it had that, that look of this isn't the actual video that really happened. A little propaganda. Exactly. Right. Like that's what it looked like to me. I'm not saying it didn't really happen. I just maybe not quite that way. What what did you think? Did you get any vibe out of that? Because you're right. It almost made them too perfect. I didn't get that vibe the first time I watched it. Cause I think the first time I watched it, I didn't quite catch 
that we were watching what Delenn was watching. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it the second time, I'm like, oh, this is just like that time an encounter at Farpoint when Riker came on the ship and he's like, hey, what's going on? And Picard's like, hey, go sit over there and watch the episode. We T-vote it for you. And then he did. He sat and watched the with the camera cuts and everything. Right. I, it, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, okay. But it didn't click for me that this is... Pr- and, and now that you say that, coupled with Delenn, who was saying... We heard reports that those weren't civilians on the ship. Those were weapons that were getting through. And those are things I think we know ne- we know more now about war and how like no one's truly innocent, you know, when it comes to the things that happen in war that those lines between Jakar and Delenn were like, yeah, he's 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 painting that story he used to paint. Oh, woe is us, damsel in distress, but now they actually are in distress, but he cried wolf too many times and Delenn is calling him on it. And that's why, that's why I made the reference I did in the recap that it's like that video that they made where they tried to reinterpret a battle from so long ago and they got so much of it wrong. Yeah. That's a good reference. Like, it's so one-sided, you know, regard for us, for the viewer though, I think part of that was meant for us to start seeing them as the victim. I mean, they clearly were, they were attacked by the shadow ships or whatever, but to give a personal connection, you know, we got to meet the crew and see how they stalwartly went in and did these things. But did you did you also notice that in the Narn ship, their captain's chair? Anyway, I didn't notice about the others, but the captain's chair had seat belts. Oh, really? They installed seat belts in the Narn ship. Yeah, <laughs> they've got them. Delenn's ship. So whenever the Minbari have been around, they've got those weird looking seat belts. Yeah, yeah. that's a little <clears throat> totally. But I think. Hey, let's uh, build a connection with the Narn. Oh, they're victims. But then we go see the Narn on the station and they're like, yeah, we're going to go stab every cent. Like they're just violent. They're they're every, every stereotype that we've, we've put on them so far. Mm -hmm. I do think though, with them being marsupial in nature, like that, that fight scene between Jakar and dude, that was some weird looking fighting. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I have to go back and watch that fight again. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go back and look at that fight again and see, uh, Lots of kicking. And that's the thing I've noticed about Babylon 5. There's a lot of kicking that happens in their fight scenes. And I wonder if that's a direct, like, a direct roundhouse at Star Trek, who, like, the Star Trek fighting is a thing. Double axe handles and the big things or whatever. And they're like, no, we're going to we're gonna do kicks. That's what we're going to do. And also they're marsupial, because so of course they would kick. Right? <laughs> Lean back on your hands and shoot your legs out. Yeah. So. I think, and I think, too, uh, and Andre uh, Katsalas... I feel like he did a lot of that fighting in there. Like the way, you know, when there's, when you have a stunt person doing the fight scenes, there's cuts, you know, like camera cuts that happen. There were cuts, but not in the way you would have with a stunt person. Like a lot of it was like, I can see his face as he's tracking and he leaps off of that, you know, little platform to attack the guy. And then they did the weird thing where they were fighting the camera that Babylon five has done a couple, Ah! couple times. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be one of those. Like when we look back on, 1960s sci-fi and we laugh at it this is us looking back on 90s sci-fi going you had your hallmarks of how you did stuff Uh uh-huh this all brings back though sheridan has this great line we all know that the first casualty of war is always truth you know and i think when you couple that with what you were just talking about the conversation between delin and jakar where oh yeah look these are just civilians well yeah but also you had your weapons and you had your fighters and you hid people there to use your civilians as a shield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's also civilians there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you also put your people there 
And you know, in 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 what's the Lynn say? She's like the things you've done in the past and made it and and said make it difficult for us to trust you. Like it, it's an interesting look, right? Like, yeah, we could come to your side, but then what happens when you guys turn around and try to go kill them in just a few years? And then they're asking us for help. Yeah, like mm, there's a reason to stay out of that. It was a really good callback to her speech on Midnight in the Firing Line, where it's like, at what point are you done? You know, yeah, we'll help you, and then we'll have to help them, and then it's back and forth and back and forth. But I think it's also a good callback to um, when Jakar was talking to Sakai. You know, was it Catherine Sakai Mm -hmm. saying, no one here is what they appear to be. Right. You're talking about Babylon 5. And so I think some of that's we're seeing that now with Jakar, where... Yeah, it's not what it's, and we're watching you paint your picture and of some things that are happening and, and it's falling apart. That scene, that scene where Sheridan and Delenn offered, hey, here's how we can help. He had that moment where they're like, what, you're not, this isn't good enough for you. He's like, oh no, no, it's great. You're so generous. This is awesome. And then he walked out and he laugh cried. Yeah. What was that? I think that was him like on a, at a breakdown. Like he was about to have a complete breakdown. Yeah, like, was that, was that Andre, Andre? I think Andre, Andre, Andre yeah. Yeah. yeah, Andre. Yeah. Yeah. Was that him laughing, trying to cry? Like he was trying to cry, but he was laughing in order to do it as an actor. Or was that a character who was in a, in a laugh slash cry breakdown? Cause I, I couldn't tell what he was doing. I'm pretty sure it was Jakar. Like that wasn't, wasn't an acting. Cause I think, I think that he was laughing at the situation that here he is having to be happy that he's accepting aid that he can never brag about. That was the thing. I can, no one can ever know this was me that did it, you know? And so he's laughing at kind of the absurdity of the situation that he's in, but also crying because of the absurdity and the desperation of the situation he's in. I think if we could spend 14 seconds in Jakar's mind, what we would see is that he feels personally responsible for the Narn and the Centauri being at war. And he feels it's on him to end everything to, to fix it all. That's interesting. And that's, that rings true. That rings incredibly true. What did you make of the solution that, that Sheridan and Dylan came up with? I loved that as a solution. It was slick. Like we can't come help you in your war, but we can come help the civilians. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can argue with that. And we're going to get them out because of the underground railroad thing. Yeah, it was, it was a good use of that. You know, that like, oh, okay, this is in place now, so we can you know use that network and these skills for this. And I thought it was a great solution for it. And I think it's very um um realistic. You know, I mean, we we've we've we're watching war today. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, that was the first thing so many countries came in. What can we do to get civilians out of here and get food to the people we can't get out? You know, it's like, how do we take care of the people who aren't involved in this? That's what the countries came together to, to try to do. It didn't go great, but they, that was, that was the solution. We're going to take care of the people who are caught in the middle and we're also going to do it totally underground in a way that you, I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, or just a byproduct of the plan, but that was great. You Jakar do not get to benefit from this, which actually is right and appropriate and proper. And I think it says a lot about the leadership of Jakar and that he didn't like it but he was okay with it. There you go. Yep. This helps my people. I mean, I'm a self-serving narcissistic marsupial Narn. I want this to be all about me, but it can't be all about me right now. So it sucks, but it's going to help my people. So I 
We'll take it. You want to talk about Ivana? Well, no, no. Before we do that, Natoth. This new Natoth is awful. Yep. She is weak and ineffective and has zero bite to her. None. Deathwalker Natoth would have grabbed a wrench and shut that little group down. Like it would have been brutal. Right. The, 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 the crew that had to do cleanup in that room would, would have quit their jobs and walked. They would have spaced themselves. It would have been so gross. <laughs> but this Natoth, yeah. I, I hope that, I hope Jakar fires. And I want that to be a scene. Like I want him to rip into her and fire her. And I never want yeah. to see her again. I, we were such fans of Natoths and now mm-hmm. just. It's terrible. Well, because there were, there was an edge to her that 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 made her stand out, mm-hmm. and now she's just she's a mouse. She said, like, there's one point where she she like punches somebody and then like backhands a couple of people, and I'm like, you didn't do anything to those people. Stormtroopers would have had a better punch on them than you did, right? And and then and they that, and then a thought that we've seen in the past wouldn't have hit them once. No, like their children would have felt the punches, you know, I mean, but I think talking about things that we missed in that, in that scene specific or this leading up to that scene, there's all the Natas stuff. Yeah, totally agree. I think we've seen her two or three times in this season. And every time I'm just like, "Ah, you're terrible. I want the old one back. But when they're buying the swords. Yeah. One, I found it interesting because that's the rule. No weapons on Babylon five, even Mm -hmm. though everyone seems to have one. But it, I see it being a lot easier to smuggle swords in than PPGs. Mm-hmm. So, okay, cool, swords. Why didn't they buy those swords from the fly dude? What was Negrath? Oh, yeah. Like, whatever happened Whatever happened to him? Budget. They had to get rid of him. Couldn't afford him anymore. I guess. It was too bad. I was just like, the, the second time I watched it, they were buying the things. I'm like, that should be Negrath. I miss him. I'm surprised you even remember his name. I, I, I liked him that much. He's great. I did not. I did not. Okay. We got to talk about Ivanova in a corny way, but yeah, let's do the, we got, we got to talk about Ivanova, uh, before we get out of here, because this was, this was an in your face subplot. Oh my gosh. E plot that they had going on. But before we get into the heaviness, I have to know, I've noticed it for several episodes now. And I've, I've, why is Ivanova only wearing one earring? Yeah, I don't get it. And why? And And it's not that she's only wearing one, but like she makes it very apparent. Yeah. That she's only wearing one. Yeah. And it's it like there's there's something here about this that I've missed that I just don't know. And it bugs me. And the fact that they just do it and they don't address it bugs me. It bothers me. And I swear, if anybody uses this of you have the female first officer of the station wearing an earring on one ear and they're using that as a comparison of why Babylon five, or I'm sorry, the, the other Star, Star Trek show ripped off Babylon five. I'm going to, I'm quitting right now that whole conversation. Cause that is stupid. Yep. But, That's I want a copy of the show Bible to be like, Oh, and Ivanova wears one earring for this religious reason, whatever. Cause I'm like, I'll bet you a billion dollars. It doesn't say that. And it wasn't stolen, but somebody, someone literally just in the comments said, well, it's, it's another, it's another example. It's another example. Did they really? I'm sure I'm, 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 Oh, you mean being... like right now? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're projecting. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, did somebody really just say that? <laughs> yes. I see it scrolling in the comments down exactly. below this video real time. But I mean, if I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. All right. So I just uh, throwing that out there. I don't think we have to bring it up again unless they, unless the show addresses it, but oh my gosh, it just, uh, okay. Let's start with a good thing about what happened with, with Ivanova here, the way Sheridan gave her this assignment. He completely entrusted her and 
fully empowered her to do the job. And he gave her a clear, this is success. This is failure. You do it or you don't go make it happen. Beautiful, beautiful. And she got it too, right? Like when they're both like, this is a chance to get your diplomat. Ha ha ha. Yeah, it is. Totally is. Also, I feel like the stakes weren't the biggest. You know, I think that's a key thing when you're developing skills and people, you give them the big bites where the stakes aren't necessarily that high. If this turned into nothing, hey, we had nothing before and we're not in a place of desperation. We're just hopeful we can put something together. What did you think about the tr- the the representative and the translator? And I, I again, I feel like we've seen this in an episode before, although I think the person was deaf when we saw it earlier or mentally telepathic or something like that. I thought it was really cool that um, the Lumati have um, repurposed the Tellarites. Like I saw dude, I'm like, that's a total teller. Like they literally yeah. went to the old thing, got the old face costume for it. But I, I thought it was great. I loved, I loved that whole thing of just like, I'm not going to demean myself by using my voice for you before I, you know, I, I mean, it, it just was so, so much frosting on the cupcake of how horrible these people were. Right. And who were maybe a sneak peek of the closing of the comments, such a mirror for how horrible we are. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, that's what makes this episode so Trek. You have an alien species who is looking at humanity from an outside source and being literally holding up a mirror to society. (laughs) That's what these guys are, right? It was, it was phenomenal when, when they're going through that underground area and like, oh, this is how you treat your poor people. You relegate. Oh, we never thought to do this. This is awesome. Brilliant. We're going to, you're going to have. You're going to have an available immediate workforce that you don't have to support and you don't have to do anything for, and you don't even have to think about them because you're going to shove them off into this area over here. Cool. Great idea. Yeah. Uh, Wait, you're going to, and then, and then the whole thing, like with the medical thing, like, oh, you're only going to treat the people who can afford to pay for it. I'm sorry, who are evolutionarily good to go. And you're going to get rid of the people who aren't evolutionary good to go or the people who can't afford to pay for it. That's how you're going to decide who gets medicine and who doesn't. It's like, oh yeah, that's good. We we're going to, what do you say? We're going to figure, we haven't gotten that far yet, but we're going to figure out a way to put this into practice. Right. Right. And it was just like, okay, hello earth 2023. Yeah. Whole specifically America, but, uh, but I mean the whole thing, but right. So I thought the, so I, when the Lumati came off, so I thought dude was Tellarite. Okay. Uh-huh. Whatever. But I thought that, um, Corello Mozat, is that his name? Was that the, the big the guy? ambassador or the little guy, the ambassador, the big okay. guy. I think that's, his I have name. no idea what his name was. He looked like he was the same race as the Mutado in TKO. The guy who ran the fight, oh, like the yeah. facial, facial stuff. I don't, I, yeah. I didn't go back and look, but I noticed the nose slits mm-hmm. for both of them looked, looked rather interesting. The, I don't know who the actor was that was playing the little guy, like the, the translator. I know, like, I can see him without his makeup on. I know exactly who he is and what he looks like. And I don't know what else he's been in, but he's been in a lot. I feel like he's that guy, right? And yes. so many things. I think he's yes. been, I'm, I'm, I would, I would bet a lot of money that I know he's in Star Trek. Um, I don't know where, but I, I mean, look at him. Of course he has been. Yeah. Oh, he's a hundred percent been in Star Trek. The, the, the ambassador guy, his name is Ian. The, the actor is Ian Abercrombie. And mm-hmm. you may know Ian Abercrombie as the voice of Palpatine in the clone wars cartoon. Is he? he was, yeah, he was Darth Sidious in there. Okay. Which I thought was pretty cool. So 
we got to get to it. Well, before we get to that, oh, okay. just in general, yeah. How how well do you think Ivanova handled her her job up up until the point of the the down below? Oh my gosh, you're ter- terrible to people, and that works. But up until that point, how do how do you think Ivanova did? I thought she did fine. There's particularly when you're talking to an ambassador, there is a certain persona you have to give off a certain aura. And I don't think Ivanova was doing that very well. Uh, there, there was a lack of confidence on Ivanova's part that made that ambassador continue to talk through a translator rather than honor her with his voices. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because she wasn't handling it with, with, uh, well, confidence, really. confidence, yeah. you know, um, and that was actually a requirement of that job in that moment. So I don't give her full marks, but it wasn't until he did something that was so gross and so disgusting and so inappropriate. And I say that from our culture, because if this truly is their culture and the way they do things, I don't mean to denigrate it, but I don't think it was. Well, it's a, I well, think this dude was just being creepy. So I, I, Franklin said, he's like, well, no, he doesn't know, but he's like, oh, they treat it like a handshake. So he was also very eager for that handshake. Yeah. And very forceful with mm-hmm. it as well. And, and I, maybe that's what they were trying to go for, but I didn't buy it. Like, I'm like, no, 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 this is not the way the Lumati do it. He is just trying to abuse his position of power. And it doesn't matter really if they weren't or not, because that's exactly what he was portraying and i think too and because I, I i have i had two thoughts one if it was like a normal thing mm-hmm. um which i'll get to in a minute but the other one was i i don't think it was i think he was taking advantage of her and what makes me think that is when little dude stuck around after like after she did her thing and he stuck around like uh me, My turn. me too me too oh nope okay i'll go i'll go right and i mean maybe they come from a place where they're used to these men just having their way and not having somebody do what Ivanova did. But I mean, my, my first thing, and, and this is more rhetorical because I believe the answer is just yes. But like when he turns around and he's like, no, we're going to have sex right now. And I'm like, is this normal for women? Wow. Like, is this what women actually experience? I think the answer is yes. I think so too. And Jeff, you and oh. I both have little girls. We have daughters that mm-hmm. we love dearly with everything within us. The idea that that's going to be their life someday is appalling yeah, and gross and disgusting. And I think you're right. I think it does happen a, a lot more than any of us want to uh, yeah. admit, but it, it, it kind of leads to my thought on if this is legit and they do just have sex to seal their deals. Yeah. What if Sheridan had brokered this deal? I well, think I, that I had, I had the thought is, did Sheridan know? And this is why he assigned Ivanova to it. Cause he didn't want to be the one to bend over. Right. He's like, look, you're going to have to, uh, what was it that Franklin said? I've got it here. It was so, I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. Everything was terrible. Put a bag over his head and take one for Babylon five. Make one for the team. That's what he said. Like, yeah. no, no. Okay. So if it, I think if it was Sheridan that was doing that and Sheridan was talking to Franklin and being like, Oh my gosh, dude, this is horrible especially in 1995 for him to say, put a bag on his head and take one for the team to Sheridan. Okay. Maybe that's a chuckle, but like with Ivanov, I feel like we are really rubbing right up against that assault kind of thing in a pr- pretty, really uncomfortable way. I mean, this is where Franklin needs to go stick up for Ivanova and be like, this is not happening. 
one, and can we just say this? Ivanova needs to tell Sheridan this. Yeah. Like she should. She should inform him. Well, that's the thing, because she and when it's done, she says, I can't, you know, I can't let him know. He has to think everything went smoothly. I told him I had this in hand. This happens to women. All I, I have experienced this where something I, I it work. Hey, go take care of this thing, go do whatever, and then awful things happen to them. They are harassed. They're I mean, I've had one person who someone touched them and awful. And you come back and you tell me because then I can go. I can go advocate for you. I can go try and yep. make things as right as I can, but she doesn't because there's that there's that stupid part of our toxic dominant work culture that says, "Well, I've got to be one of the guys, and be able to take one for the team, and just do what needs to be done." It's like, no, no, you don't. What happened to her? I mean, she was brilliant, I think, in, in how she dealt with it. But had she not been brilliant, she either would have quote failed in her mission or. Mm-hmm been subjected to something terrible. So I just want to say this outright. Um, the way that Ivanova solved the situation while particularly in the mid nineties, I could, this played for a laugh. That's what this did. It played for a laugh. It was a hoot. It was so funny. And, and I actually see this from two different sides of the same coin. One, I just want to say this. It was so inappropriate. She should never have to do that. She is effectively making a fool out of herself so that she doesn't have to do something she clearly doesn't want to do. Nobody should have to do that. You should just be able to say no. And that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And not even no, because it's no period done, right? Done. No, I'm not doing that. Okay. Done. But the other side of that, well, I'm going to say this. I know that that was supposed to be played for a laugh. I didn't think it was funny. I don't know if that's me sitting here in this day and age in a post me too era. And I, I think we're post me too. Maybe we're, I don't know. Maybe anyway. still be in it. Yeah, I don't know. But, but I don't know if that's just in, in this day and era, just being more aware of the, the plight of our, of our sisters on this earth. I didn't think it was funny. Maybe I would have back in the nineties. I hate to say it, but maybe I would have, cause I yeah. think that's what it was played for and meant to be, but eh, no one should ever have to do that. That being said, I loved the way that Ivanova took this into her own hands. She took agency over her own being and, and she attacked the situation head on and she came through it in the end with her integrity intact. I loved that for her that she's like, you know what? I'm gonna roll up my sleeves. I got this. Yeah. I'm going to take care of this. Now it required her to act a fool, which was not okay, but like the fact that she was able to still do that. She didn't have to go running off to a man for help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I know we both just sat here and said she needed to tell Sheridan that had nothing to do with him being a man that has to do with him being her superior yep. and, and him being able that superior taking care of their subordinate. Yeah. If, if Babylon five had an HR department, go to them, right. It doesn't have yeah. to be Sheridan, but you go, you go to that. If Dr. Franklin was a professional in any sense of the word, you go to him but he's not. So don't. Right. Right. Okay. Here's my one last thought though. And this may transition us. I don't, I don't know if you have anything else. Here's my one last thought though. In thinking about this, let's play the idea. Let's just assume that this really is the traditional way of sealing a deal for the Lumati. Hey, we're going to, I'm going to buy a house from you and now I'm going to sleep with your wife. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's, it's just normal. It's a handshake to them. Is this any different than the beta Z tradition of getting naked at a wedding? great point at what point do we dishonor people's cultures 
that's the question, right? We have we have tremendous taboos around sex. It's it's something we don't talk about. It's something that you know. I mean, as a world, but I think specifically mm. in the United States, it's still such a you know verboten kind of a thing that we don't even talk about. You know, I mean, in, in a meaningful way. But yeah, I, I think it's very reasonable to believe there are other cultures that are just like, yeah, we just do this. Like it's a it's a thing that we do. You could have the you have the Pulp Fiction conversation about a foot rub or a foot massage, right? Like are you just rubbing somebody's feet or are you you know rubbing somebody's feet, right? Kind of a thing. But it's totally reasonable. That's what it is, and this is just it's how they they do it. And I do think it begs that question of who are we to say that that's not culturally appropriate? That's the that's the line. What do, what do you do when something is so repulsive to you? But to someone else in their culture, it's actually honorable and respectful. And those two things clash. How do you handle that? And I, I don't think we've ever gotten a good answer to that uh, with that. Jeff, did you have anything else from this episode you want to talk about? or we Just two, uh, two things I wanted to bring up just really quick. One was I very much wonder how scripted Ivanova's thing was oh, or yeah. if they just let her go. You know, how many but, takes did they give? Did they let her yeah. just go and she just did something different every take? Because I have this vision of her like dancing around set, practicing on people, you know, and like uh -huh. having a good time with it. And because I, I, I did get the impression that she was having fun with right. with it, and, which and makes Cla me. You mean Claudia Christensen? Claudia Christensen was yeah, having yeah. fun with it. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. and I think that and I think that makes me think they let her let her ad lib on it quite a bit. But she had one line in there that I just thought was great. She's like, oh. Tell me about your portfolio. <laughs> Where did that come from? What? Is, wow, that's awesome. But uh, the other one is that it, it branded as a new brand when it comes to sex as a result of this that mm -hmm. I want to start normalizing now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk up to my beautiful wife and I'm going to say, hey, sweetheart, tonight I want to do it human style. <laughs> I gotta be honest, Jeff. I never want to do it human style. <laughs> that just is horrible. <laughs> I might just want to go the old Lumati style. <laughs> but I just love how they kept saying it. They're just like human style. I'm right. like, oh, that is that is brilliant. That's wow, wow. All right, Jeff. Well, I think we have reached that part of the show where we're going to boil this all down and see if the show has any of that Star Trekky quality to it that we talked about earlier today. Does it have a deep moral message? Does it hold up a mirror to society? Yes, it does. Does it give us hope that we can be better in the future? Probably not. Uh, to do this, I'm going to rate this on a scale of zero to five deltas. That's how Star Trek this episode is. And Jeff, you're going to do this on a scale of zero to five Star Furies as to just how much we enjoyed the episode as a whole. Jeff, I want you to go first. All right. I watched this episode twice, as I do. I'm sorry. Yeah. On oh, the second sorry. watch through. Oh, there you go. On the second watch through. Uh -huh. I almost started skipping Pat up. Oh, I know what happens in this one. Let me go to the next piece. Let me, let me go to the next. Um, I don't know. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't a bad episode, you know, by any means, this wasn't, yep. a, this wasn't a long night, you know, or a long dark night or whatever that one was. Yeah. It wasn't that, mm -hmm. but it just wasn't good. It wasn't engaging. It wasn't exciting. I, I didn't enjoy watching Ivanova stumble over herself trying to be a diplomat. I didn't, I, I liked the acting that um, Katsalos and Jurisic were able to bring forward in their parts, but I didn't like what was happening mm -hmm. in, in their roles. This wasn't a strong episode at all for me, but uh, I don't know. 
I think I think I'm gonna I had this one at this rating when I started. I'm just kind of weighing in my head if our conversation has tipped me at all, and I don't think it has. Um, I've got this one at one and a half star theories. Wow. Being generous. Yeah, a little bit. And and I think part of it is that I I as offensive as Ivanova's solution was through our lens of today, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed what exactly what you said, how it I think she failed in her diplomatic sense, but she is next level in problem solving and in owning her problems and in having, you said, having agency as an individual. She is a commander. Yeah. And demonstrated it through and through. She stumbled into the right solution in this one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like she didn't, she didn't push it. She just sort of stumbled backwards into it. And then when she got to be herself, she's like, I'm going to put down all this stuff and I'm just going to be Ivanova and I'm going to take care of business the way that Ivanova takes care of business. She was awesome. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. All right. Let's hear your thoughts on the deltas. Okay. This episode was a very star Trek episode, incredibly star Trek, but it did it in a completely Babylon five kind of way. You know what I mean? Like here you have Jakar having to quell his own people, right? From, from their own little uprising on the station. You have Ivanova having to negotiate very inappropriate negotiations. There's a commentary on human culture from the outside. There's a mirror being held up, like the uh, specifically the way he talks about how we treat our homeless and the, and the underserved populations. Like that was just like, oh my gosh, hit me over the head one more time with it. But it wasn't done in a way that Star Trek would do it. This was done, like I said, in a Babylon 5 way. And, and the best way I compare it, it's like, like the Babylon 5 way is, this one's going to take the message and it's going to beat you over the head until you comply. Whereas Star Trek is just going to talk you to death until you capitulate and say, yeah, that's the right way. <laughs> like that's the difference. <laughs> you know, Babylon five is going to beat you. Star Trek's just going to talk to you about it. Same outcome, just two different methods. So with that, Jeff, I'm going to do something I've never done before. Okay. I thought long and hard about how I would do this. Do you remember in Voyager, they had that, sh- that, that the ship, the Delta flyer. Oh yeah. Yeah. The right? shuttle. And, and now, now our deltas are the star Trek Delta, right? The, the star Trek symbol, but they had the Delta flyer. Well, I'm going to give this one because it was so star Trek, but it was so Babylon five all at the same time. I'm giving this one five Delta furies. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Five Delta furies. Cause you know why? Yeah. No, I think that's great because one of the things we talked about way back um, when we wrapped up season one was when we were going to start doing the Star Furies, we talked about rating how Babylon 5 an episode was, but like we still don't really know what Babylon 5 is, but you're right. This is a this is a great example of what Babylon 5 is, but I think I think the Star Trek messages are, are more than the Lumati piece. You know, I think Jakar having to sleep in the bed that he's made, you know, having mm-hmm. real consequences for your actions reminds me a lot of... Um, the first duty when, you know, um, crusher and the cadets yeah. try to pull one over on everybody. And then someone finally speaks up and says, Hey, we messed up. And it's like, yeah, not good enough. Um, you've been lying to us this whole time. And now you're, you're going to repeat your sophomore year at the Academy. Again, a softer, you know, a softer star Trek version of it here in Babylon five. It's, it's, it's filthy and it's, it's hard to swallow, but yeah, this was, this was a deeply, deeply star Trek episode. Well, guys, starting now here in season two, Jeff and I are ranking these episodes throughout the entire season. 
This is going to be the absolute 100% completely accurate and definitive ranking of season two of Babylon five. Currently, Jeff, our ranking stands at number one, the coming of shadows. Number two, a race through dark places. Number three, all alone in the night. Number four, soulmates. Number five points of departure. And then they kind of go down from there. Jeff, where would you place this one? Acts of sacrifice within the ranking. Like I said, this is this is not a strong episode. So I'm actually looking down below the top five right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think a lot like you, I have to ask, what would I rather watch? Right. And so when I look at this, I would watch Grow Pose before I would watch this one. I like some of the soldier stuff and they're like Dodger mm-hmm. and some of the things that happen. I like the dark payoff on it. But so that takes me to net next is Revelations. And would I rather watch this or Revelations? And I think. I think between this episode and watching Sheridan and his sister go at it for what half an hour or whatever oh it was. Oh, that I thing. forgot about that. But yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with this one. So I think that puts this one um, below grow pose and above revelations. I think that's puts it at number nine, number nine. Yes, it does. It does. So for anybody wondering the, the, after the top five, which this doesn't change our top five after the top five is a spider in the web at six geometry of shadows, which was the techno mage, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, grow. I might've put this one above Gropos, but that's exactly in the range that I would have had it. So we're going to go Gropos and then we're going to go Acts of Sacrifice, Revelations, A Distant Star, all the unseen episodes of season two, and then The Long Dark. One day we'll get something in between. I hope nothing displaces Long Dark from the bottom because that would have to be a bad episode. Yeah. Bad episode. Oh, Brand, that's it for Acts of Sacrifice. Next week, so this is the other game we like to play, right? We don't look ahead anything. The next episode we're going to watch is called Hunter Prey. So that's all we know about it, right? We haven't seen any screenshots. Just to clarify, is that prey like praying to a god or prey like I'm going to eat you prey? Going to eat you, P-R-E-Y. All right. Hunter Prey. That's all we know. So Brent, what do you think next episode is going to be about? Jeff, I think it's time. It's time for a Vorlon episode. Oh, I know we've been saying this for a long time, but it's time for a Vorlon episode, a season and a half with this guy barely sprinkled in. It's time for a Kosh centric episode. And I mean, Hunter prey, it's somebody's being chased, right? Like it's gotta be that. And I think it's Kosh being Kosh, like just they're the badasses of the universe and uh, they're going, Oh, maybe, maybe like Kosh starts going after Morden. Oh yeah. Remember they had that meeting where he's Uh like, they're not for you or something like that. And you know, Kosh is gonna, is gonna, uh, go do something, but he can't be successful because I assume that that's going to be a long time running thing. So maybe absolutely nothing to do, but that's my guess. This is a Kosh episode and he's chasing someone. I like that. Cause then you have to almost ask like, who was the hunter and who was the prey? Cause Morden will something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. So my thought on this one, I got to own for everybody. Like I look up the next one. So I have a little bit of lead time to think these things through. Mm-hmm. Brent literally just heard it for the, right. first, for the first time. <laughs> but so I think I'm, I'm, we're going to see Kemmer because he's still in the opening credits. I think, or Keffer, mm-hmm. Keffer, Keffer. Yeah. Yeah. No, Kemmer was, uh, was, uh, the niece niece mike michael's niece uncle mike's niece from, yeah, yeah. from way back yeah we're not gonna see her again I don't i'm you don't think i don't think so i'm okay if we don't yeah i'd be that'd be shocked if she got hired again 
But we're going to see Keffer out doing stuff, and he's going to tap in. He's going to start picking up some sort of like communication weird array thing okay. that's going to tap him into some communication network, and he's going to see Babylon 5 where Babylon 5 shouldn't be. And then while he's trying to track that down, some weird race wearing helmets is going to pop onto the screen and say, get off of our comm channels. And then that's going to lead to um, to some like gymnasium where they can end up in World War II, the Herogen. No, you know. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. This is not a Star Trek podcast. Touche. Touche. No, so I think this one, I don't know what big storyline it's going to tie to, but in reality, I think um, there's going to be someone who uh, sets up shop on Babylon 5 hunting lurkers. Right, like a Doctor Moreau's Island sort of a thing, but on uh, is that the the guy Doctor? I forget, but you know the whole yeah. human hunter thing. Yeah, yeah. With lurkers down below on Babylon Five, and we'll find out right here next week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We appreciate it so much. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're listening or watching us, and pop over to Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Audible, wherever. Leave us a review. I love reading them here on the podcast. So, Brent. Until next time. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. We should end this episode in the traditional way of my people. Um, are, you, are, you, uh, <laughs> are you serious right now? I am. I am. Because I would like to buy you a chemically inoffensive drink. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Peace and long life. <laughs>